You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, goodbye Kate Smith, the latest casualty in the never-ending search for fake social justice purity. Andy Polin, our Tuesday guest, and he's got thoughts on the NFL draft, and Kyler Murray, and can he be trusted to stick to football? All of that, plus don't laugh, Ukraine, he's really your president. Bonus 1% Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019. Thank you for downloading and thank you for subscribing. Andy Poland picked up the phone during intermission periods of the Capitals' 5-2 loss in Game 6 on Monday night to the Carolina Hurricanes. So you'll hear some of that talk interspersed in our conversation. But otherwise, let me skip to the key part of that game for Caps fans listening. And just say the wave off of the goal by Ovechkin that would have tied the game at 3-3 was the right call. It was the right call. Ovi couldn't see the puck. He's lying if he says he did. And he caught pad first and then he slammed into Mrazek with his skate and knocked him and the puck backwards and into the net. That gets disallowed. Nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten. Especially on replay. The replay showed it. I'm all for bitching at truly bad calls to a certain extent. But don't bitch about calls that are actually the right call. That is one of the most unflattering things you can do as a sports fan. I think anywhere. Stop bitching about correct calls and focus on, you know, we kind of played like shit tonight. Anyway, that's later on in the show. You'll hear Andy and I reacting to the game in real time, and I apologize, but that was the only time I could get Andy in between periods. The guy's such a hockey fanatic now. I I say, can I record you during the game? No, 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 i got to watch my caps. Okay, Andy didn't say that, but I'm exaggerating. Before we get to Andy, Kate Smith has become the latest casualty in the search for social justice purity. And it is only pure in one regard, this whole episode. It's pure insanity. But then again, we are living in insane times. So perhaps it makes perfect and total sense. Even though I hate it, it disgusts me. And it's very unhealthy for the republic as a whole, for our democracy, for our society. This accomplishes nothing. It just gets all of us further at each other's throats, and it gets people calling for other people to lose their jobs. (laughs) Will Cain, whose job it is to debate issues on ESPN and First Take, took the stance of, hey man, this happened in the 30s. 
kind of a different day and age back then. And besides, Kate Smith is dead. And besides, there's no other record of her in her commentary, her actions, or her writings, or in her dealings with people to indicate she was racist at all. But now that doesn't matter. The songs are racist. They've She sung them, and she's got to go. So Will Kane is now under attack by some. He should be fired. Let's lop everybody's heads off. Wait, don't use that phrase. I'm not going to get into that controversy either. You know, the funny thing is, you look back and you say, all right, here is a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner. Here is a woman who helped raise more than, what, $600 million in war bonds with her, with her voice alone during World War II to fight Nazis and win World War II? And you're going to take her statue down over two songs? That How long have those songs been hiding? Or was it just that nobody really cared? Did it take one letter to the editor? Did it take one email from one person to the New York Yankees? I think I've read a little bit, and I haven't done a ton of research on this, but I think I read it was one person. One person said, hey, what about this? And the Yankees were like, ooh, yeah, that's bad. And yeah, the song, the, the title of the song is is bad by today's standards, but was it satire? What about the fact that a black singer sang the song with her? It was part of a musical. Was it satire? Was it not satire? Was it this? Was it that? I don't know, but if this is the new standard, if the Kate Smith standard is the new one, which is any little thing, even if you've been dead for 40 years, even if you didn't do anything, even if whatever it was you're accused of was 80 plus years ago, oh no, we could still go in there and unperson you. We can erase you. We can disassociate. We can say, tut, tut. And what is Kate Smith to do? She's dead. If only we could exhume her body and force a groveling apology from her and a promise to work on social justice causes and be more woke in the future. If only we could do that. Well, actually, you know what? That wouldn't matter. Because I can't remember a single time in which somebody accused of being racist, sexist, bigoted ever issued an apology and then was granted clemency by the online mob. Actually, well, truth be told, if you are of the right political persuasion, yes, you will get that clemency. I was recently watching... Again, one of my favorite movies of all time, 40-Year-Old Virgin. And I said to myself, they can't make this movie anymore. It's got just too many things that would be considered, oh my God. You'd have to take out certain lines in Superbad. Like when uh, Jonah Hill calls his buddy Fogel, Faggle. Can't do that. Well, you know, Zabe, that's really not necessary. It's still a funny movie without that. Yeah, true. But then that's how teenage kids talk to each other. That's how they used to talk to each other. We're not doing that anymore. We are more sensitive. Well, okay, I hope so. But if you want to keep it real, you got to keep it real. 
You know, former presidents were slave owners. Could it get worse than that? What about their history and statues and all the artifacts in museums? Baseball itself banned black players until Jackie Robinson came along and broke the color barrier. Shall we ban baseball? And don't say that's an absurd comparison because it's not. Things were different and institutions and people evolved. But people who otherwise have no track record of being racist or bad and have been celebrated and awarded medals by the President of the United States and who have been dead for 35 years, you can't go backwards in time and go, oh, tut, tut. I mean, you can. And the Flyers did. And the Yankees have followed suit. But it's insane. Ty Cobb was a screaming racist. Shall we remove him from the Hall of Fame? I did a quick Google search. Like, Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, he is. Okay. Well, what are we going to do? It was easy for Ty Cobb to be a screaming racist back then because the country was screamingly racist. Blacks didn't have equal rights. I think the modern rule is nowadays, and this is sad, but here's here's the the the, the litmus test that entities take when it comes to these issues. If something is A, symbolic, B, doesn't cost much money to strike a pose on, and C, will win accolades from some people on social media and in major metropolitan newspapers. doesn't have to be all people, but if it wins some accolades as, okay, very good, you're very woke. And most importantly, D, if it involves somebody who is incidental enough to be thrown away into the trash bin of society's guilty conscience about the way things used to be. And Kate Smith would qualify, despite the fact she won a presidential medal of freedom. She's incidental enough, she can be thrown away, and she can be unpersoned, so away we go. Because major companies... Major sports teams, leagues, and entities will do it because they are scared of their own shadow and nobody wants to die on that hill. And they are terrified of, oh, oh my God, what's the reaction going to be? And if you think this is the last time, or if you think this is the most ridiculous thing that'll ever happen, I got news for you. It ain't and it won't. So buckle up. Time now for Andy Poland. All right, between periods, Zabecast, as I'm going to call Andy Poland right now after the Caps lead 2-1 at the end of one, game six at the Carolina Hurricanes. Who would have thought? What a world. I'd be interviewing Andy Poland on a podcast between periods. Hello. Hey, and you are live on our intermission report here for Capitals <laughs> Mid-Game Live. Do you ever think you'd be talking to me in the middle of a hockey game for something called a podcast? 
No, couldn't have imagined that when I got into radio in 1978. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine watching as much hockey as you have the last two years? No, I really couldn't. And I heard Ryan Kerrigan on the air today, and he's from Indiana. Now, that's Midwest, but I guess it's not really hockey country because Indianapolis doesn't have a team. And, you know, he fired up the crowd the other night where he chugged the beer through his yes. jersey yes. in the uh, tribute to T.J. Oshie. And he said, no, he was not a hockey fan growing up, but he's just gravitated to, you know, the success that the Capitals have had, and he's become a part of it. So I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. You know, I I didn't get a hockey team here until I was 15 years old, and I never really became – that invested in hockey. I like to go to the games now and then. I rarely watch them on TV. But now spring is kind of cool around here, isn't it? So are you now more of a hockey fan with the Stanley Cup run last year and what is hopefully going to be a deep run this year? No question about it. Okay. And do you feel like you understand the game better? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the nuances and finishing checks and things like that, but you know, I know what a hell of a hit is and great saves by Holtby and Right. When you, you know, watch a getting... game when you watch a game now, you kinda understand the shape of, ooh shit, that was a bad play. You shouldn't have let that guy get into this part of the ice. And stuff like that. Right. Right. And you can and and my untrained eye could see the opening period of the last game, and again they played pretty well tonight. It's a bad bounce that got the goal by Holtby. But other than that, they come out and they played in a different way. And you can tell that, you know, just by watching, even though I don't know all the <laughs> ins and outs of hockey. Yeah. That said, I can watch now other teams' series in the playoffs and really get into it, which I used to not really be into. I mean, I'll watch tonight Predators stars and be into it, even though they aren't my team. There's just something about – I'd say that playoff hockey is like the sushi – of sports, Andy, it's, it is a delicacy and it's not for everybody, but those who like sushi are usually sushi fanatics where they talk about, Oh, we got to go to that new sushi place. Oh, I got a real hankering for sushi, right? Yeah. And you're you, so you know into it. Whereas most people are like Ugh, raw fish. Ugh, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's also a period of time where, you know, we would start talking about the Capitals in the playoffs and the real hockey fans would go, oh, now you want to watch. Well, they don't oh, seem to mind yeah. now that, that we're, we're jumping on the bandwagon and, and getting into it. They, they, they seem to be okay with it. The righteous, vocal Capitals jihadis are some of the yeah. worst, most annoying fuckers on, <laughs> on the sports landscape because I'm convinced a lot of them, Andy, they don't really follow any other sports but hockey. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there are a large number of fans that hockey is their only sport. Yeah, and they're also very anti-Redskins, even when the Redskins are playing okay. Like, they see the Redskins as like the older brother who gets all the attention, and they don't really like that. You know what I mean? Oh, and they're dead wrong. Like, I still have to fend off people saying, well, you talk about the Redskins all day. I want to take a minute-by-minute minute accounting of my show and shove it in people's faces and say, you have no idea how little Redskins 
I've been talking about. In fact, I've been talking so little Redskins, Andy, I have had to say to myself, yeah, you know, you should probably talk some Redskins, don't you think? The draft is coming up. Yeah. That Like, literally, that's how little I have talked Redskins because I believe this team is so far away from being good that there's not a lot that I'm getting juiced up for. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, you know, if, if Daniel Jones comes here, He's just a guy. Quarterback Daniel Jones, lands. Duke University, was projected late first rounder. He may be moving up the charts, uh, depending on who you believe. He is a prototypical, statuesque, can't-run, white quarterback. Yeah. Yay. So Exciting. Come, come, comes to Washington, he's just a guy. If he goes somewhere else, he might develop into Peyton Manning. You know, <laughs> the Gil, Gil Brand made that comparison the other day. Oh, That's just uh, kind of the way things go around here. I saw that, Andy. Oh, sorry, my phone's... Well, that's weird. I just jostled my my phone connection. Why is that way? I I saw that quote quote from Gil Brandt, and I'm like, damn it, Gil, you just got in the Hall of Fame. Why do you got to say some dumb shit that makes you sound like the doddering old man that you may be? (laughs) Yeah, but he is the godfather of the draft. He is the godfather of the draft. He was so far in front of everybody else, it isn't even funny. All right, so let's talk draft and not kill people with hockey because not everyone likes sushi. Everybody likes pizza, and I'd say that the NFL, Andy, is the pizza of sports. Yeah. What did, yeah, I think that's What did the late talk show host Tom Snyder once say about pizza? <laughs> Go ahead. It's a podcast. It's, it's, okay. It's, it's like a blowjob. Even when it's bad, it's good. <laughs> right. And much, much like a blowjob, would you ever turn pizza down if offered? Hey, you want some pizza? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, that's right. No matter what kind of pizza it is, you Right. There's just different levels of good pizza, not so good pizza, bad pizza, but you'll still eat generally bad pizza. Yeah, and, and you won't say, oh my God, that's the worst thing I ever ate. It was like, yeah, that's bad pizza, but it was still pizza. Yeah, I'd say gas station pizza and movie theater pizza. I... The pizza that they served at the Cobb Theater in Leesburg is some of the worst, most cardboard-like shit I've ever had, to the point where I almost went to the manager to say, here, take a bite out of this. You you taste it and tell me, is this actual food? Because it's awful. Okay, I digress. Let's talk, let's talk NFL draft. Here we are, just a couple days before the draft, and we have several good, intriguing questions, including the question of, is Arizona really going all in on Kyler Murray? What do you think? Yeah, I think they are because I think they think that Josh Rosen could be good. I think they believe that Kyler Murray could be great. And while they could be wrong, the risk isn't as great as it used to be with the rookie salary cap. So, you know, if you miss on him, try again next year. You'll have a coach in his second year. I think the general manager is good for another two or three years. So I, I think it's a, it's a relatively low risk for them, unless they believe that you've got Josh Rosen as the next Brett Favre, that you throw out the first year and he's going to be great. But I don't think they're necessarily sold on that. Yeah, there, that was one comparison someone made to me saying, hey, don't forget Brett Favre, team gave up, gave up on him after one year. But Favre, as I recall, Andy, 
nearly drank himself out of the league when he was a Falcon. That was part of it, and and Jerry Glanville was running that run and shoot offense, and I don't think he ever really liked them. I think that was uh, that was a draft pick that he didn't want, and I think that, that that was just a bad mix. And Ron Wolf, who's in the Hall of Fame, he understood that Brett Favre had that kind of talent. Yeah. So is there like the other angle on Kyler Murray is, are is Arizona having second thoughts? Like, they may still go with him, but they might be thinking, what are we really doing here? Because, you know, there's this feeling with Kyler Murray, because remember, he started out at Texas A&M, and there were some thoughts that he was had a little bit of uh, entitlement to him because he played baseball as well, and then transferred. And then this whole thing about, he really didn't decide he was going to play football until this season was over, and he had such a great year and won the Heisman Trophy. And there's his dad which is yes. also a little bit troubling because we saw it with RG3. Where, yeah. where do you stand having watched all through the years, quarterback after quarterback come through, the good, the bad, the great, everything in between? What's your vibe on Kyler Murray? Yeah, I read the Robert Klemko story in SI. Did you read that? About, I saw uh, it referenced. It The headline was, what does Kyler Murray want? Or something like that? Yeah. Okay. But, I didn't read it. But, do tell. Well, the dad was also a two-sports star, and he signed a baseball deal coming out of high school, and he was not a good baseball player. He also got a $35,000 bonus to sign to play baseball, which was good money in those days, and he decided to go to Texas A&M to play football, and I forget the team who took him, but they wanted the money back, and I don't think he ever gave the money back. Then he went to A&M and was a really good quarterback, but ahead of his time, African-American, more of a runner than a passer, and the league wasn't ready for him. And he eventually wound up playing, I guess, a little bit in Canada, but never made it to the NFL. And those kind of situations are sometimes dangerous in that the father is living out his dreams through the son, and, and he said something to the effect a year ago, okay, uh, now we're going to show him what we got, meaning, you know, he knew he was going to finally get his chance because he had come to Oklahoma figuring Baker Mayfield was leaving after his junior year. Right. Well, Mayfield stayed one more year, which meant he had to sit the bench an extra year, which he wasn't anticipating when he made his transfer from Texas A&M. Right. And so this was going to be the plan for the dad, that he was going to have this bust-out year, and then he was going to be able to call his shots. Also, they had done preparation with a group, management group, on how to handle these interviews going into the draft. They should fire that group. They did. They did, but but they they didn't listen to anything they told them. They said, said, just keep talking, don't say anything, but keep talking. And he and he didn't say any. He, he didn't, you know. As you know, he just so he, bed, basically. so he did not. He did not have the art and the skill of talking without saying anything, which is difficult. But Joe Jackson Gibbs was the best at it. Right, right. But it, it's it's also something that most people can master. There's a few talking points that you work on. You know, this is national media that you're going to be doing. You know, they're going to ask you about baseball. And I would think a guy like Dan Patrick, if you went to him and you said, yeah. okay, uh, you can do this interview, but baseball's off limits, he wouldn't take the interview, right? You'd think. There's a concept yeah. There's a concept called burning the lifeboats in which 
you know, some general once upon a time in 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 history invaded an island. As soon as his forces landed, he turned around and burned all the boats to basically say, we're here to win this battle. We're not going to flee, and now I'm taking away your options. Some would say that if you're a football player who has options, and this was a point Whitlock made uh, on Fox Sports the other day, if you have options, you're not as desperate, you're not as focused, you're not as committed, you're not all in. Valid? Right, right. Valid, or is that overstated? Oh, no, that's valid. And they also said in doing his interviews with the teams at the Combine, uh, he said that he was proving his love for football in that he was risking his baseball career by possibly getting injured playing football. That's weird. Which to me didn't seem to be enough all in. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, that does seem a bit weird. I'm thinking of other two, uh, other baseball-football combo QBs in history. Drew Henson was one. For the Cowboys, mm-hmm. right? He also played for the Yankees at one point. He turned out to be not very good at either. Right. Anyone else you can think of? Baseball? Well, Chris Wenke, you know, tried baseball first and Did then he? failed. Yeah, oh yeah. That's why he was 27 or 28 years old when he won the Heisman Trophy. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's had, right. That's right. Uh, Jay Schrader. Jay Schrader was, was drafted the by the Blue Jays. Pick, yeah, number three pick of the entire draft. And he said, uh, I remember interviewing him a few years ago at the Mickey Steele golf tournament, he said that he recognized that he couldn't play baseball when they were playing Dwight Gooden's minor league Mets team, and he couldn't hit the slider. (laughs) And so that's when he went back to to play football. He thought he was going to play for the Raiders because Al Davis loved the big arm, but he wound up playing playing for the Redskins. Didn't Didn't we end up trading him to the Raiders? Yeah, yeah, eventually, yeah, Al, yeah. Al wanted him. I mean, he was he was third string with the Redskins, and uh, and they traded him for a tackle who marginally is a Hall of Famer. Right. Didn't have a long career, but for five or six years was the best left tackle in the game. Yeah, Jim Lachey was absolutely incredible. Didn't play long enough really to make the Hall of Fame, but that's one of the all-time great fleecings right there. And then yeah. I guess more modern terms, you know, Russell Wilson was a baseball slash football guy but I don't recall him ever flirting with pro baseball when he came out of college out of Wisconsin. Yeah, well, and then the ultimate ruse was pulled off by John Elway, who said he was going to play baseball for the Yankees rather than play for the Colts. And the fact of the matter is John Elway was the fourth fourth or fifth best baseball player on the Stanford baseball team. It was just a, a complete snow job, and Hearsay panicked. And he traded him away for a bag of beans, and that led to the team leaving town. Isn't it funny that baseball is treated like the hollaback girl of sports, the side piece <laughs> chick used as leverage only? Like yeah. Michael Jordan, oh, I'm sick of I'm sick of basketball. I might go play baseball. I'll go bang this other sport for a while. It's not really my favorite. It doesn't seem to be anyone's favorite sport. Well, I, I did min- some minor league baseball games uh, when I worked in San Antonio. I went to a lot of minor league baseball games. What level? Minor league players. Single A, double? Double A, double okay. A Dodgers. And uh, again, guys came through there like Fernando Valenzuela and Steve Sachs and Oral Hershiser. I mean, they had you know really great players who came through, but the life is hard. Coming up through the minor leagues, that's rough. You ride the buses, uh, you play in dingy stadiums. Um, it's It's not a good life until you get to the major leagues. And even when you get to the major leagues, 
that 162 games is a grind. Yeah. It's a real grind. You got to love it. And if you don't love it, you're not going to succeed in it. You got to love it. And you got to accept the fact you're going to suck at times and feel mm-hmm. stupid. Like, I can't play this sport. I can't hit the ball. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. tough on a lot of modern athletes. But, and you, you talk about the minors being hard. How about being hard for announcers? I mean, oh, yeah. You're, what did you make per game calling the double A Dodgers well, in San Antonio? I, I didn't do a whole season. I did some, you know, playoff games and things okay. like that. I was not I was not a regular uh announcer. But I, I would imagine, you know, guys I know Gary Cohen has been doing the Mets for thirty years. Uh he did four or five, maybe six years in the minor leagues, and you're making dirt money. You're making, you know, sometimes you have to double as the PR guy, write the game notes, uh you get promotions, whatever it is. It's it's you gotta be committed and you're it's it's the lottery because what are there thirty teams so right. sixty jobs we only one of sixty jobs in in the major leagues that's, and that's they a hard all, deal and they all want to be the next Jack Buck or the next oh, yeah. uh, Ernie Harwell or the next Vin Scully they all want to get to the bigs and stay there for thirty five years yeah well that's a good thing about it if if you do make it there's a chance you can stay for a while but. Um, you know, reality is that you're not going to make it. There's well, too many guys trying to get there. What is that I hear in the background, Andy? That's uh, Mrs. P. Uh, very angry that the uh, goal! Hurricanes just scored a goal. <laughs> <laughs> I must be on delay on my DVR because I heard her scream about 30 seconds before my TV. <laughs> Uh, I love yeah. I love Mrs. P's passion for the sport. 2-2 two, two, as we have started uh, period number two. Just last ad on that uh, minor league baseball thing. Do you think you could? Let's say you were given the job of calling major league baseball on the radio. <clears throat> but the money wasn't great. Let's say the money was... I don't want to put a, a number out there, but let's just say the money wasn't really good, but you got the job as a Major League Baseball play-by-play man. Could you do the job? Would you do the job? I would take the job. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how good I'd be at it. Uh, Would you enjoy the job? Yeah, I I think I would. I mean, I don't know how I'd feel about it. You know, I I definitely would enjoy the job for the first three, four months. By the time you got to August, I don't know. But What uh, what What if you're calling a shitty team? That is yeah, going I mean, to lose a hundred games. It's it, look. It's 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 something that you have to have a passion for doing. And I've never made the emotional investment in doing it. I've never really pursued it. That's one thing. I mean, I did a couple of years of SMU basketball, but that's you know thirty I games could, a year. I couldn't imagine doing it, Andy. I really couldn't. It's yeah. fucking baseball every day. And if, and if you're calling a team who's bad, you've got to sell it like, ah, great day at the ballpark here at Kauffman Stadium. Royals uh, currently trying to climb within 10 games under 500 and uh, got a little momentum okay. off that 4-1 loss last night. All right, but but uh, the, the a significant portion of your listenership for this podcast is Milwaukee, right? Yes. Does Bob Euchre have to do it? No. He does it because he loves it. And he's great at it. And he's had some bad Brewer teams over the years. 
but he's I've seen him. I've been in Nats games when they played the Brewers, and I turn around and go, "Whoa, that's but, Bob Euchre. Know, and he's but, he's he's standing in that chow line just like everybody else, know. you know. But Uke is baseball, and Uke is of baseball, and he's Mister Baseball. Yeah. Okay. But I'm saying that's not he, me. I'm not sure I could do it every single day. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've never had the opportunity, and I've never really pursued that opportunity. So it's hard for me to say. But you'd take the job anyway. You selfish fucking pig. You're like, mm, give me, give me a job. I'll take any job. Just give me a job. What's that? No, Baseball. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'd do the best I could. I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't just, you know, jake it. I would go in and, and give it a shot. You know what, Andy? Give it my best shot. Andy, you've got the right approach in this business. If there's a job that's decent that's offered to you, fucking yeah. take it. Take, take it, it. Do the best you can. Take it. Do What's the best the worst you thing can. Can do right. Fire you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you hate it, fired. quit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's not like I go, whoa, that's never happened to me before. All it right. happens. Kane's just scored. It's now 2-2, and the Caps have committed a penalty. Carolina's yeah. on the power play. Let's take a break, Andy. We'll reconvene between the second and third periods to wrap up today's podcast. So stay tuned for more right after this. Welcome back. Welcome back. A second period of rock'em, sock'em hockey, Andy. That was some exciting stuff. Goal disallowed on a high stick by Justin Williams, former capital. Mm-hmm. And we are going into the third period tied to a piece. Enjoying the game tonight? Yeah, a little nervous. Uh, I think there's a life that I didn't expect from Carolina after the Caps went up 2-1. But uh, we'll see. Third period should be good. All right. We are a week old on this, but I do want your thoughts. How did you enjoy Tiger's amazing win at the Masters? It was fabulous. It was it was absolutely fabulous. Now, some things had to happen where players fell in front of him. That was fell. a little bit choked. Yeah. Just yeah. threw the tournament away. Yeah. Yeah, so you know that is and it it hadn't happened before. I mean, it's incredible that Tiger had never won coming from behind in the final day of a major, and to see him do that was was great. And it's it's just a different guy. I mean, he's he's I wouldn't say completely humble, but he's humbled. And you know, seeing him hug his kids, I I got caught up in the whole thing. I did mean, you really? Uh, call me a sucker. Did yeah, you? I did mean, you get? Me. Did you get moist eyed? Not moist eyed, okay. but it was it was it was really really good. And what uh, has amazed me, as is people who know far more about golf than I do, are talking about him being back in play to break Jack's record. Uh, I don't know. That's four more majors, right? Uh, three to tie, four to win. And yeah, he, it's such an amazing comeback. Cause I'm sure you're a, you're a big advocate of the Washington post. You still get a hard copy delivered to your driveway. Uh, yes, I do every day. And so you read the Adam Kilgore piece in which he yep. interviewed doctors, back doctors who universally said, this is a miracle. Like this, yeah. there's yeah. no precedent for somebody coming back to this high level of function. The, the procedure was supposed to relieve pain and discomfort, not intended to restore high athletic function, yet here Tiger is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is amazing. And I think back to when he was promoting his tournament at Congressional, and he hit four shots and three of them didn't clear the water. 
Um, I there, mean, he, he there just, are wedges. He he was hitting yeah. a 90-yard wedge shot on the number 10 hole at Congressional, which is normally 205, but he played it from up there because they knew he was coming off of his third back surgery, and they basically said, well, let's put him up close where he won't embarrass himself. He did anyway. That's yeah, And that's yeah. how far he's come. Now, you said you got wrapped up in the moment. One of my uh, somewhat cynical golf buddies, uh, Scott Shirey, said, yeah, 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 shout out to all the single dads whose wives got a bit hysterical in the divorce. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's yes, how yes. he dubbed the moment for Tiger and his kids. You could look at it that way, but you have to look at it from my perspective, someone who didn't care that much about golf right. and got into watching oh. Tiger. Oh, yeah. No, and that's the thing, Andy. You are the guy that always loved watching Tiger. You didn't really watch much other golf, right? No. But you would watch, would watch the U.S. You know, Open, right? You'd watch majors. a little bit of that and maybe yeah, a little majors. bit of the British because it's on in the morning, which is convenient. Yeah. And yeah. you goddamn didn't watch any of the PGA Championship. I guarantee you that. Unless, no, ti- unless, unless Tiger was in it. And in the hunt, or 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 somebody well known was in it, okay. but yeah, I mean, I I do like the Sunday afternoon, uh, and this was another thing that that was it was perfect for me that this was a Sunday morning event, which was even better. Yes, exactly right, and uh, and and you you are you are a casual golf fan, and you enjoy the game, and you appreciate its difficulty, even though when you tried to take it up, what was that, fifteen years ago now. It's more like 10. Okay, you tried to take it up recreationally. You gave it a good shot. Carol Maloney, a television personality, wonderful woman in town, gifted you a packet of lessons, right? Yeah, and yeah you, it was a great teacher. Yeah, and yeah, you, you dutifully went through the lessons, and you gave it yep. a shot, and you said at the end of it, nah, not for me. Well, I, I think as I've told you before, uh, you have to practice. So I bought a bucket of balls, which was $10, and I practiced the things that I was taught by John LeSage, who is a great guy and a great teacher, and actually gave me free lessons, more than what Carol had paid for. And I realized I remembered little of what he told me. I was incredibly frustrated at the shots I was hitting. And I said to myself, you know, if I'd have taken that $10 and gone to the movies, I'd be happy now. So I turned everything in and I quit. I, I even though I still laugh at how you quit the game so quickly without really giving it a long shot at it, and and you obsessing about the money of ten dollar buckets, I respect Andy how forcefully and how without regret you quit the game. Yeah, part part yeah. of me as a golfer and every serious golfer who's ever been really into the game has been so pissed off, so frustrated, so heartbroken by the game that he or she has wanted to quit, but they can't quit. Like they're in the mafia. Yeah. I look at, I look at how you quit and I, part of me swoons thinking, God, if I could only do what Andy did, I too <laughs> would save a lot of money and time and grief. So at least I respect yeah, well, that. But, but you at least are golf positive your partner on the weekends lovey tom lavero is so oh yeah is so anti-golf it's out of control it's ridiculous the theory that he has is that golf writers are soft on players because they play it's just ridiculous oh that's his theory yeah yeah he says oh because they play the game 
and they think you know like they're relating to the golfers as fellow golfers. And I said that's insane. That's just ridiculous. I get it. So in other words, it's part of it is a journalistic thing yeah. with Lovey yeah. that he doesn't respect golf writers, but some of the great writers in sports writing history have been great at writing golf. Notably, oh, Dan Jenkins, who recently passed away. Oh, he was one of the best. Isn't he considered like the best golf writer ever? Probably, yeah. Unless yeah. it's unless you're going back to Herbert Warren Wind, who coined yeah. the phrase Amen Corner at Augusta National. Yeah. But from what I what I gather, uh, Jenkins was a very good golfer. He was a college golfer and I guess marginally could have been a pro. I don't know. But but I don't know about relations. I don't know about that, but he 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 definitely played the game. Uh, Dave Kindred, who wrote all yep. sports, still alive and a great guy and a great writer. You would think that Lavero would at least respect guys like that. Yeah, he does. But you know, I guess because uh, Dave also does what Tom respects most: boxing. Uh, he gives him a pass for the golf. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. I took on Tom Lavero. In the Hillbilly Putter Challenge at our annual charity golf tournament at the radio station. Not just one year. There was two years we did it. Now, for those that don't know, Lavero at a rest stop driving to the Catskills. (laughs) Was it the Catskills? Or no, it was upstate New York for Bumstock. Lavero's annual get-together with his 60s-era no accounts, drinking beer, sitting around, telling stories, (laughs) doing nothing. They call this bum stock, right? So on his yep. drive up there, he stops at one of those rest stops with a kitschy Stuckies. gift shop, a Stuckies. Yeah. And in it, there's something called the hillbilly putter, which is nothing more than a twig, literally just a branch picked off the ground, shaved down with another larger branch screwed into the end of it, and the face flattened, and it says hillbilly putter. Like, this is how cheap a putter would be if you were a hillbilly, and that's all you could afford. I told Lavero, I said, I could beat you in one hole of golf with this thing. (laughs) And you could use a full set of clubs. (laughs) And Lavero was adamant. He's like, no way. I'll still beat you. Hate this game. I'll still beat you. And I I think I swung so hard with that stupid stick putter, I broke it. No, but you you won. It, it It was very Trevenish. Lee Trevenish. <laughs> Lee Trevenish. Me just, of course, I think I won with a 13 or something like that. So it's not like. Well, he, yeah, but, but but we got the ball. I was I was helping him out. and You were caddying for him. Yeah, the ball got stuck in like a rabbit hole. So there were like four shots trying to whack it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that said, Andy, the Masters is great sports theater. Agreed? Oh, and, and, you know, say what you want about Jim Nance. He was, I thought, perfect. And just he shut just up for way... two and a half minutes Yeah, after and, the last he... putt went in. And, and I, I'd heard him tell the story before uh, about how after Jack won, which was, I guess, his first year doing or anchoring the coverage. Yeah, he was on and... 16, I believe. Yeah, and, and Ken Venturi came up to him afterwards and he said, young man, you may see another 50 masters, but you'll never see one like this again. And he said to Tiger, Ken was wrong. And I, I think so. I mean, I, I think this was I agree. As this, great as this Jack's was, better. was, this was better. This was yeah, better really because was. 
because the chants at the end of Tiger, Tiger were like Maximus, Maximus. It's unheard of. I've watched golf my whole life. I've never seen a tournament where the fans chanted the winner's name like yeah. a stadium. Yeah. Like a stadium. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And it's crazy how well Tiger is loved now. Yes, he's a better outward persona guy. We don't know the real person, but his outward vibe is way better now on right. version 3.0. But he's so loved by golf fans now, it's crazy. You know, he's, and, and I think all the golfers owe him because the money that he's channeled into the sport oh, is, yeah. you know, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's, but as one of the uh, one of the French kings said, "Après moi, le déluge." <laughs> after after Tiger, what's the sport going to do, Andy? Yeah, it's true because he, even though he hasn't been playing for the last, or hasn't been winning, I should say, for the last ten years, it's been about well, is he going to win again? You know, is what's going to happen with Tiger? And he's forty three, so in six or seven years, he won't be winning again. And what will and and we've always been waiting for the next breakthrough guy. Whether it was Rory, whether it was Spieth, nobody's really taken the torch. There's nobody like Tiger. There's nobody as dominant. Yeah. There's nobody who pops through your television, both in his physique, how he walks, his aura, his concentration, the just the vibe. Nobody approaches it. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. unbelievable. By the way, it's yeah. uh, King Louis the fifteenth. Après okay. moi, le déluge. Actually, it was first attributed to Madame de Pompadour, the lover of King Louis the Fifteenth. But I digress. How about that? Okay. Uh, speaking of speaking of kings, have you been mm-hmm. watching Game of Thrones, Andrew? No, I never watched that. Will you? I don't think so. What TV shows have you watched? Because it dawned on me as I was going to ask you this question, knowing full well you're not watching Game of Thrones. Yeah. What TV shows have you watched? Sopranos. <laughs> okay, so that was the last show you were really into. Yeah, and and when those drums would start beating at nine o'clock on Sunday night, I'd get really excited. Yeah. So why yeah. then didn't you get into other modern day blockbuster shows like Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones, or The Wire? What yeah, is it? I know I you're just have. you watch sports and yeah. you go to movies. I do. And, and I watch 60 minutes and I like the cooking shows. I watch those. Okay. Do you watch house shows? <laughs> I watch that uh, home improvement shows. Yeah, I do. Do you watch DIY? Do you watch the real estate shows where they're shot, you know, couples are shopping for homes in various places? Yeah, I, I did a little bit. I don't watch those as much anymore. But but the home, the one I really like, the home improvement show. This guy Holmes, Mike Holmes. Yes, exactly. Have you seen this? Canadian. Yeah, he's the guy. He would go in and find shit that was done all wrong, and then he'd yeah. like well up, almost in tears, pissed off at the shitty contractors, and he'd be like, "I'm gonna make this right for the homeowners." <laughs> yeah, well, basically, he tears the house down, and. and <laughs> And the cost, you know, at the end, the cost is like, you know, more than the house. And so it, <laughs> right. it, 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 it's not something that you can really relate to because you wouldn't have a contractor do that. But what he's showing you is, okay, before you hire somebody, make sure you have not checked out. Make sure you get some references. Make sure he's got licenses. That, that's the point of that. Do you Have you ever read the backstory on HGTV, the channel and no. the network? How it got started? 
no. Yeah, and where they're based out of. I think they're based out of Tennessee. I want to say Nashville. And basically, they have a very tight cost structure on their shows and on their stars because they've been so successful, they figured out Americans will sit and watch other people mull real estate and look at houses and and look at and do renovations and they'll mm-hmm. enjoy that as entertainment it'll get ratings it doesn't cost hardly anything in the big scheme of things even if they're paying for renovations or whatever simple right. television uh, production god gold. damn it <clears throat> god and you know what you're ahead of me so you said god damn uh, three two Carolina Hurricanes right now. Sixteen minutes left, third period. I tried to get to Andy cleanly in between periods, but I was a little bit late getting the phone. So we're gonna bleed over for four more minutes, Andy. Then we'll be done. I'll, I'll release you to the hockey game as of me. So anyway, they you know the deal was they figured out a people will watch this. B it'll be cheap to produce the shows. C there's a myriad of spinoff shows that can be had. Renovation shows, moving shows, international shows, yada, 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 house flipping, etc. And then on top of it, how easy is it to sell advertising for these shows because it's all for home shit that everyone right. needs, right? Power tools, right? Yeah. Sure. Power well, tools, yeah. well, sprinklers, I, I, <laughs> shop vacs, you name it. It's brilliant. I, I wish I had thought of it myself. I watched this old house 30 years ago, the Bob Vila show. So, you know, it's not totally new, but a whole channel of it is. That's the and thing. the various people that yeah. do it, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, the, the cross-section. And, you know, usually there's a very attractive woman, oh, yeah. uh, you know, no. and it's kind of a, a, a thing to watch her use a Sawzall, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. An attractive woman that knows how to use tools. A dream, yeah. A dream girl in many men's eyes. Although some men, although some men would look at it, I think some men that are very handy or perhaps work as tradesmen themselves, they would look at it and they'd go, "She's doing it all wrong, fucking ridiculous, <laughs> honey." Put the bandsaw down and cook me a dinner. Yeah, sexist well. pigs. So, so all right, back to the show thing. Why don't you get into any shows now? I don't get into very many. I wait for a show to really gain a major force on the pop culture landscape. That's why it was five years into Game of Thrones before I picked up the scent and started binge-watching. I didn't start watching Breaking Bad, Andy, until it was over. Okay, yeah, so I I have to do that, and I know people who watch it and they like it. Now, I did get in our, I forgot, I got in early on The Americans, so I watched that whole show. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. I watched all six seasons, and that was good. I really liked that show. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like if a show has already started, even though you can get in late, and I did get in late on The Sopranos because I don't even think I had HBO the, last, the first few years of the show. Yeah. But I, it feels weird to get in because you're not really familiar with the characters. So I don't know. I mean, you could you could actually get in five years in and know what was going on. That was well, interesting. No, because I, I caught up, Andy, by binge-watching. Oh. Okay, yeah. Do you, do you know yeah. all these shows are online available? I know, I know, on demand, <laughs> and and people give people even give you DVDs, you know. But I'm very I'm very picky though because there's so many shows now, and people yeah. are always saying, "Ooh, you got to watch this." Ooh, you got to watch that. I really wait and wait and wait until something has an undeniable force, and then I'll give it a try. 
but I don't always take to it. Game of Thrones, I did. I didn't think I would. Breaking Bad, I was annoyed because I wasn't watching it, and that's all anyone was talking about. And then when I did start watching it, I was like, holy shit, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe hard. maybe makes a little bit of that into your uh, into your diet right there. One last show note, and then we're done here. Have you been seeing the guy making a run on Jeopardy for Ken Jennings' record? I, I haven't seen the show, but I read about it, and it seems to be a perfect storm of really good knowledge and the ability to bet big. Yeah, this guy, uh, his name is James Holzhauer, yep. and his strategy is to seek out daily doubles and to crush the daily doubles, to right. bet as heavy as he can on the daily double. And then it gives him a huge cushion provided that he hits them. Yeah. I mean, the show to me has never really been about money because there are other game shows where there's a lot more money. But to see somebody get on a run is, is you know, really good. Now, you could have a conspiracy here in that Alex Trebek has announced he's got pancreatic cancer and maybe the producers are worried about the future of the show. Oh, Andy. Oh, (laughs) no, you didn't. By the way, is is Trebek Trebek hosting these current shows going on? I think so, yeah. While getting treatment? Well, he he made an announcement that, you know, he's going to try to beat it. He said the prognosis isn't good, but, you know, he's got... Two years left on his contract, and he's gonna he's gonna make a go of it. So, it's it's uh, amazing he looks as good as he does, considering I thought he'd be undergoing immediate heavy radiation treatment and everything else. Yeah, I, I don't know what's what's involved, but uh, you, Charles Van Dorden just passed away. You know, I like the obits, and uh, if you saw the movie Quiz Show, you did see that, didn't you? Yeah, I was about to set up the whammy with. Well, Andy, that's quite a theory, but as we all know, no game show in American history has ever been rigged. So we don't, oh wait, what's that? Oh yeah. Quiz show. What was the, what was the name? Was that the name of the show? Quiz show? No, the, uh, it was the $64,000 question. Oh, okay. And that I did see the movie. I've kind of forgotten most of it, but the basic thing was, yes, they rigged the show for maximum entertainment value, right? Well, that, that was part of it. There was also a, a guy named Herb Stemple who everybody found annoying. And so they wanted somebody to beat Herb Stemple. And that's when they came up with Charles Van Dorn. And uh, and, and John Turturro as Stemple was great in this movie. Just great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's that's what it was. It was rigged. Yeah, it was. Uh, now, there were others who, who, who actually won on that show legitimately. Um, and and the, the, the thing that you did was you took a category – that was you were not an expert in. For example, Dr. Joyce Brothers, a very famous psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever she was on TV, radio, yeah. she took boxing and she crushed it. You know, so that's that's the way that, that show worked. Yeah. All right, Andy. Well, look, there's a TV show Thursday called The NFL Draft. And if you had told me or anyone years ago that this thing would be one of the most popular TV shows of the spring, I'd say you're fucking crazy, but here we are. Well, I, I go back to the days when it was on on a Tuesday. It would start in the morning. Tuesday? And, yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday morning? Tuesday morning. It was it was 12 rounds. They may have even gotten it all done in a day. On, I, I, and it was I on ESPN? Remember. 
Well, it was this uh, even before it was uh, like 1980 was the first year it was on ESPN, and they only did a couple hours too. It wasn't like they were there all day. When do you first and remember watching the NFL draft? Probably, well, because I I didn't have ESPN until probably like '83. Okay. So, um, yeah, I remember I I would you know when I was working in Dallas, so that was in '81 and '82. Those two draft years, I guess '83 also, uh, that we would go to the Cowboy headquarters and they would have you know TV coverage of it, and then Gil Brandt would come out you know after they make their picks and you know talk to the media and that was that was kind of it. And the the original idea for it came from Chet Simmons, who was the uh, head of ESPN at the time, and he went to Pete Rozelle and he said we'd like to televise the draft, and Rozelle said who would watch it. <laughs> Now it's on three. Here we are. Now it's on three networks: ESPN, NFL Network, and now ABC. This year for the first Prime time. Prime time. Prime time. Unfucking believable. Andy, we got a situation. Carolina power play. They're up three-two. This is bad right now. We got to bear down. Thanks for your time. Go Caps. We'll talk to you next week, bro. All right, Jake. All right, man. Take care. Bye, bye. Let's end on this today. What I know about the Ukraine is that it's a proud country that does not want to be referred to as a road apple. At least that's what Seinfeld taught me when Kramer was playing Clue. No, not Clue. He was playing, uh, oh, what's the war game? Killing me right now. He's playing the board game with all the world continents and the armies. And he's like, Ukraine. Ukraine's a road apple. I'm going to go right through them onwards to the uh, Baltic Sea. Guys on the on the subway train saying, what's that about Ukraine? Ukraine strong, not weak. Well, Ukraine has apparently elected a comedian whose only political experience consists of playing a president on TV. They've elected him as, they've elected him as their actual president. Un- Believable. Volodymyr Zelensky received 73% of the vote as President Petro Poroshenko got a mere 25%. A crushing rebuke, rebuke to Poroshenko's five years in office. The election was considered to be a reaction against the country's entrenched corruption and low standard of living. Even before the results started trickling in, Poroshenko, the current president, accepted defeat based on exit polls saying, I am leaving office, but I want to firmly underline that I am not leaving politics. Dude, you just lost to a comedian. This might be it for your political career. I don't know the intricacies of Ukrainian politics, but... I would kind of think this would be a death knell for you. Zelensky, the comedian for his part, has promised wide changes to the top echelons of government and said his number one task would be securing the release of about 170 Ukrainian military members taken prisoner in the East or in Russia. Well, good for him. What does Ukrainian comedy entail? What does it sound like? What are the jokes? I, I need to Google this guy. I need to YouTube this guy. He might be slapdash funny. On a serious note, this is part of what I believe is coming 
not just to America, but worldwide with the election of Trump, I believe that I will not see another non-celebrity president in my lifetime. That's right. Every president going forward, I believe, will be a celebrity of some sort. They will not be your standard stock-and-trade politician. Not senators, not governors, not congressmen. Uh, They are going to come from a different quarter of society. Now, the problem is they're still going to have all the career politicians around them. They're going to have the career lobbyists guiding them that these non-politicians, which make the country feel good because they're like, yay, let's vote for this guy or this gal, they're going to be dropped into the morass and the swamp that is the inside the beltway political machine of Washington, D.C. And we're going to get the government good and hard that we deserve. Not that we want. It'll be the government that we richly deserve, for better or for worse. And let's hope and pray it's for the better. All right, that will do it for me today. Thank you again for listening and downloading. Don't forget, get the ZabeCast app. It's free. It is so good. It's so convenient. It's your one finger press to all things ZabeCast on your phone at your convenience. Go download it today. Search for ZabeCast on either your Google Play or iTunes store. If you want to subscribe to Fridays, I appreciate it very much. Go to zabe.com slash premium. And remember, podcasts are yours to enjoy at your own leisure. And I thank you for being part of this one. Email me with topics, suggestions, and feedback at zabe at yahoo.com. Now, thanks for listening. I've got some Ukrainian YouTube to go search for. And I will see you next time. Like rain on the sun today. Like a million dollars that you're giving away. Like a slave dog on the freeway. We'll fly. More than one in three people will face cancer in their lifetime. Unfortunately, fear can stop you from getting your cancer screening, but it won't stop cancer. Early detection can save your life. Don't wait for symptoms to appear to act. Cancer screening is safe, effective, and accessible for everyone, including free or low-cost screening programs. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com right now for free screening resources and recommendations from the American Cancer Society. Don't wait. Early detection can save your life. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com today. Cancerscreeninfo.com. At SheFit, we know the fitness industry makes a lot of empty promises. We're done with shortcuts and quick fixes. No woman should be let down or held back, especially by her clothing. It's time to experience the only sports bra that's as strong as you are. Available in the widest range of sizes, easy on and off, with 50% less bounce than the Nike Pro. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022.